Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. I am Chris Rawl. I'm running on fumes. The Stanley Cup playoffs have just reduced me into a puddle of emotion and sickness and who the hell knows what. I'm barely hanging on to things. The NBA playoffs put me to bed every night on the bright side. Uh, all of these things have been bouncing around in my mind and I'm writing a newsletter this last week. I wrote a newsletter about whether or not I could play basketball against Raul Neto or whether or not I could survive one shift in the NHL. Lots of things are on my mind. If you want my newsletter, it's free. You can go and sign up for it at chrisrawl.com. Just hit the subscribe button. It's very easy. Hopefully it will bring a little bit of levity into your life as you also are reduced into a puddle of emotion and sickness based upon these playoffs. So enough of that. We're getting on to today's show where I talk about the past and the present of the Stanley Cup playoffs. The playoffs are a time to prove that things are different than years past. That is true for teams. That is true for individuals. Everybody goes in with a lot of hope because most people and most teams have not won the Stanley Cup. And so this is the year prove that, you know, last year's failures, they happened for a variety of reasons, but we're better this year. We're more hardened. We're more equipped. The luck is going to be on our side. All of those things. Now, a very strange aspect of being a fan and one that is not rooted within logic, but exists is how the longer you go on as a fan, the more you carry the weight of those years with you. It's a very strange concept to explain to people who are not emotionally invested in sports. But the more you watch a team, the more you follow them, the more you root for them and feel this really deep emotional connection every time you watch them, the rise and fall. It builds and builds and builds and builds. And alongside that, scar tissue is one of those things that inevitably arises because most of our teams will lose pretty much all the time. That's just the way that it works when one team wins a team championship, right? So I'll sit here in present day in 2022 watching my favorite hockey team, the Colorado Avalanche play. They're in the midst of a Stanley Cup chase and they're going into game six against St. Louis tonight. Stakes are very high. Round two. Abs have not made a conference final in 20 years. They blew game five. I'll get more into that. But you just think about that in a nutshell and you go, well, okay, calm down, breathe. The abs are still the betting favorite to win in game six on the road. They don't win that. They have another chance at home. Will they be a bigger favorite? But What that doesn't take into account is the past, which every Avalanche fan, especially ones like myself who have followed them since they moved to Colorado in 1995, they go, but, but I've been here before. It's not rooted in logic. There's a lot of things that have happened in the past. There are no players. There are no coaches. There's nothing that ties what happened in 1998 or 2003 or 2014 into this team. Very, very, very few individual threads, if any. And yet as you sit here and go, the playoffs are a chance to prove that things are different. It's true for the current people, but it's also, strangely enough, true for the franchise. So I'm sitting here and I go, okay. The Avalanche, they need to win. They can't go to a game seven. Game seven, that game seven, it's great when your team is not involved. When your team is involved, it just makes you sick. And me as an Avalanche fan, I know that the Avalanche, who have been playing for... 25-ish plus seasons now. Actually, 25 seasons. This will be their 26th in Colorado. They've had eight end with a Game 7 loss. 
eight of 25. We're almost talking a third of their seasons have ended in the playoffs with a loss in game seven. And I have been there for all of them. This is part of the scar tissue facet of fandom, which again is very bizarre, but all of you listening, I assume are reasonably into the sports that you follow and can probably understand what I'm talking about and feel that within your own life where you go, yeah, it is weird that the team that I follow, I carry the weight of years and decades in those kinds of things. The Avalanche, they're losing in game seven. Okay, I go, yeah, the first time I remember, Edmonton Oilers, 1998. I could still tell you about, I could tell you about every single Avalanche game seven loss because those are the ones that just stick with you. They lose to the Stars in the Western Conference Finals in 1999, game seven. Very next year, they trade for Ray Bork. They're back in the same spot, same team. Dallas Stars, Avalanche, Western Conference Finals, goes to a game seven. One of the most heartbreaking losses of being an Avalanche fan. The Avs are down 3-0 in third period of that game. They come storming back. Get a goal. Get a goal. They're just battling, fighting. They're down one. They have the puck in the zone. Final minute. Goalie's pulled. Ray Bork, who we think is going to retire after that season and does not have a Stanley Cup to his name yet. He shoots a shot in through the point that one of those seeing eye shots gets through, drills the post with less than 10 seconds to go. One of those margin plays in hockey that just... You think about literally for all of time. <laughs> I can attest to that. I still sometimes I'm like, I uh, wonder what would happen if that Ray Bork shot had gone in. Again, it outs me as a crazy person, but that's just the way that a fan's mind works sometimes. So luckily, he comes back and the very next year they win the cup. Last time Colorado wins, 2001. Year after that, they lose to the Detroit Red Wings in the Western Conference Finals. Get blasted in game seven. We're talking a four-year window where the Avs could have won the Stanley Cup in any of those years. They did win it in one. The other three, they lost in game seven of the conference finals. It's just the margins in this sport are, I can't stress it enough, they are minuscule. They're almost not even noticeable. Just who and what decides the teams that are moving on. Following year, another game seven loss. This was the end of Patrick Waugh's career. Final game. All-time Hall of Fame goaltender, one of the best who's ever played the position. The Avs in the first round, they... Blow game seven against the Minnesota Wild. Andrew Burnett scores in overtime. Final shot that Patrick Waugh ever sees. So that's the, you know, that's a six-ish year window where we're talking five game seven losses and a Stanley Cup win in game seven, coincidentally enough, against the New Jersey Devils. Again, the margins in the sport. Tiny, 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 tiny. So the Avs, okay, lean years, but 2014, back against the Wild. They made the playoffs. It's a very exciting series back and forth. In game seven, this is one of those scar tissue games, especially because now we're talking about there are similar or there are tiny threads on this team that apply to present day. Nathan McKinnon, this is a rookie season. So right there, the star of the current team, he's doing stuff in that series. But in game seven of the 2014 playoff series against the Wild, the Avs lead four different times in that game. I still remember this. They go up 1-0. And the wild tight, then they go up 2 1, then the wild tight, then they go up 3 2, then the wild tight, 4 3. Wild tie it at fours with 2.30 to go in the game. Everybody who watches hockey, everybody who has a team, they could list a million different times that A, their team has lost a heartbreaker in game seven, and B, the amount of hockey games in the playoffs that they had right there and they're ready to win, and then a goal goes in in the final minutes or the final minute, and suddenly the game is gone and done. So Jared Spurgeon ties it. You know, Nita Ryder wins it in overtime. Abs go home. Heartbreaker, right? 
2019 lost to the Sharks in Game 7. 2020, that's the last time the Avs have lost in Game 7. It's the eighth time in 25 seasons. And this one, this one really, really sticks in my craw for a variety of reasons. And it's one that my mind flashes back to, especially after the Avs Game 5 loss against the St. Louis Blues. That had a similar pattern where in 2020, the Avs, they're down 3-1 in the series. They're playing their third-string goaltender, Michael Hutchinson, for the final three games. And they play awesome in Game 5 to win. Play awesome in Game 6 and win. They're playing awesome in Game 7, but again, they have a third-string goaltender. It's an uphill battle, but still, they're there. They're there. And Vlad Nemesnikov, who the Avs traded for at the trade deadline, fourth-line player, just totally forgettable. He scores with under four minutes to go in regulation to take the lead in that game. And I'm ecstatic. I'm jumping around. I'm going, okay, all we have to do is play defense. There are less than four minutes left. All we need to do is make sure we're smart, make sure we're getting the puck up and out, don't ice, get in shooting lanes, and we're going on to the next round. We'll be in the Western Conference Finals. And instead, off the ensuing face-off, the Avs just have a complete breakdown. Joel Kiviranta ties it 10 seconds after Nemesnikov scores. Kiviranta, who, again, totally forgettable player. That's his second goal of the game. Game goes into overtime. Guess who scores to win it? Getting a hat-trick, Joel Kiviranta. Again, in hockey even more so than other sports, which is insane to say because we know the margins are tiny in all sports. In hockey, the margins are virtually nothing. Puck here, it's a bounce here, it's a ref call. It's just, it's, it's almost too much to comprehend sometimes. So this is jumping around in my mind because it's playoff time. The Avs blew a, an incredible opportunity to move on to the conference finals for the first time in 20 years. Now they're having to go back on the road. Game six against a team that is very good. The Blues have proven in this series they are a very good hockey team. You don't want to dick around with a good hockey team. Yet here we are. Game six tonight. So I'm thinking about just that idea, you know. The playoffs are a time to prove things are different than years past. They are. That is absolutely true. And we have examples of that across the entire spectrum. Tampa Bay Lightning, they're the team that I keep going back to as I'll point out and say, this is just the good side of everything right now in hockey. The good side of malleability, understanding how to play in the playoffs. It's the great side of proving you are not your past. There's a really big baptism by fire component that goes into professional sports. Very, very, very rarely, if ever, you just see a team materialize out of thin air and they're young and they won right then. And suddenly you're like, oh, we have a Stanley Cup champion or we have a NBA champion or, or Super Bowl champion. That's very, very uncommon. Usually what you have is a team that is really good that can win and they have to go through these baptism by fire moments. Sometimes it's a couple years. Sometimes it's a half decade. Sometimes it's a full decade. Tampa Bay is about a half decade. From 2015 to 2019, they lose in the Stanley Cup finals. They lose twice in game seven of the Eastern Conference finals. Right there, but just are unable to break through. And what makes you very nervous, what makes me nervous right now looking at the Avalanche, even though it seems like they're set up for now, they're set up for the future, is you just never know. You never, ever know in this sport. Sometimes you can knock at the door for a long time and you don't win. Sometimes, like the Avs back from 1998 to 2003, you can have an awesome team all of those years. And luckily they won one Stanley Cup and that makes it worth it. But within a six-year span, they had a team that could win at any of those seasons and they lost in Game 7 five different times. And won in Game 7 once. So the Tampa Bay Lightning. Famous flame out 2019. First round against Columbus. 
2020 is it's the proof of concept. It's the the proof that yes, we are different from our past. We have learned. Sometimes it's not even just learning. Sometimes it's putting yourself in position and trusting you'll get bounces. Sometimes it's a combination of those things. That's usually how it works. 2020, they exercise their demons round one against Columbus. They go and they get the team that beat them the year prior, swept them right out of the playoffs as the present trophy winner, and they cream them, cruise through, win the cup, win the cup last year. Now they're back again, going for a third cup. That's who you want to be. The team that is there, they're knocking, they're talented, they're piecing things together bit by bit. And then suddenly they've won a cup. Suddenly they've won another. Suddenly they're right there knocking on the door and you're going, okay, maybe we're looking at like a mini dynasty popping up here. Who knows? The team they beat in round one. As I think about hockey fans who are very passionate individuals, um, I feel a lot of sympathy for teams that just suffer horrible loss after horrible loss because it's not fun to endure. It just isn't. So I look at the team that Tampa played in round one, Toronto Maple Leafs. And I go, this is, as far as a team trying to prove they are not their past, this is kind of the bad side, but more than the bad side, it's the cruel side. Because there have been years recently where I go, oh, you're not equipped to do what needs to be done in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And this was not one of those years. But if you look at scar tissue and you connect the threads of the past and then the recent past, with the Maple Leafs, I would go, you know, I'd walk back to 2013. And I'd say that's the start of kind of this modernized version of a cursed franchise. They're playing the Boston Bruins, round one. It's one of their big rivals, two original six teams. And the Leafs are up 4-1. It's almost halfway through the third period of game seven. They're on the road against the Bruins. This is a Bruins team that had just won the Stanley Cup. Awesome team. So the Leafs are looking there going, we're up by three goals. We're close to the 10 minute mark of the third period. It's game seven. We beat this team. We can beat anybody. That's just, the proof is in the pudding there, right? So they give up a goal right then. Okay, it's 4-2. Just hold off. It's still 4-2. There's a minute and a half on the clock. They give up a goal with a minute 20 to go. They give up another goal with 50 seconds to go. We are now a tie game. It's going to overtime. Trees Bergeron, connective thread to present day, wins it in overtime. Leafs are going home. It's one of the most shocking playoff games of my lifetime. I did not have a horse in the race. And it was just one of those ones that I actually kind of felt sick because I envisioned myself as a fan of that team and thought I would be devastated i would be crushed and i would never forget this ever in my entire life and anytime i watched a hockey game that my team was up in by three goals or by two goals with a minute 30 to go all i could ever think about is this and all i would ever see over and over is this happening it'd be horrible so the ensuing years it's just first round loss after first round loss there's two more game seven losses to the bruins in there there's a in the bubble season when they had five game series in round one They go to the deciding fifth game against a Columbus team that was nowhere near their talent level. They somehow biff it and lose. They have a game seven loss last year to Montreal. They're up 3-1 in the series. They blow that. They lose in game seven. And then this year, things are supposed to be different. We're going to prove we're better than our past. We've had a phenomenal regular season. Look at all the talent on our roster. Holy cow. Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, uh, Morgan Riley. Go down the list. They're up 3-2 against the defending two-time Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. Perfect time to just say, look, 
Think about that 2013 uh, matchup against the Bruins. There's no better way to assert yourself as a Stanley Cup contender than by beating the team that has won the Stanley Cup. They're up 3-2. They're on the road in Tampa Bay. They're up by a goal in third period. Kucherov scores in the power play. Braden Point scores in overtime. We're going back to Toronto for game seven. They lose a 2-1 heartbreaker. Go home. Now, where this is the cruel side of hockey and where I would go, ah, this is different even though it's the same, is that I truly believe this team could have won the Stanley Cup this year. Now, they lost in the first round, just like they've done all these other years since 2013. But I go, this is, this is, more, this is more margin stuff. This is more luck stuff. I mean, they're in position. They went toe-to-toe. If you watch that series... At no point did I think Toronto was an inferior team to Tampa. And many times I would kind of go, I'm leaning towards thinking that Toronto might be a better team. That's not how it played out on the score sheet. It was a 4-3 series for Tampa. But if you watch every single second of the series, you go, at best, I can't tell who the better team is. I just can't. Now, NHL playoff formatting probably screws them this year because I feel pretty comfortable right now saying, at worst, Toronto's probably the third best team in hockey this year. Teams like Colorado and Tampa, they're the two up there. Toronto's right in that mix. I mean, they took Tampa to a seventh game. They were up 3-2. They lost in overtime of game six. Now, the cruel side is this, just trying to come to terms with, we are better, but we are in the same spot. We're at home watching the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And if this continues to occur, does anybody remember stuff like this if they don't win a cup? No, that's not really how things work. Unfortunately, (laughs) it's the really unfortunate side of being a fan or following sport. Just you're going to get lost in time. Now, there's one more team I want to mention before I get into the individual side of the Stanley Cup playoffs and kind of this dynamic of you want to prove you're better than your past as you try to win a Stanley Cup. San Jose Sharks, they're a team that I'm thinking about because one of their, actually their most iconic player, Joe Thornton, uh, he just lost with the Florida Panthers. He's at the very end of his career. He's not doing anything of note, but he never won a Stanley Cup. And now the majority of his career was spent with the San Jose Sharks. He was traded there in, I believe, 2006. He won the Hart Trophy. He's the MVP that year. Came from Boston to San Jose. And the San Jose Sharks, they were, they're one of the like perfect examples of, you can be so good and worthy of winning a cup and be there time and again and again and again. And because this sport is so based upon the margins, if little tiny things don't go your way, you cannot win over the course of multiple decades. From 1998 to 2019, the San Jose Sharks only missed the playoffs two different times. We're talking over two decades. Closest they came, they lose in the Stanley Cup final to Pittsburgh in 2016. There's a million other near misses throughout those two decades. And they're one of those teams that every single year I'd go, ah, this Sharks team, it's scary. I mean, they eliminated the Avalanche two different times in a game seven. Or actually, sorry, once, but a different time in game six. And there's just a a whole compilation of, ah, this team is really good, but for whatever reason, they lost this series. And then the next year they lost because, and there's just, there's so many reasons that can pile up in any given season. And for the Sharks, I would just say, well, they never had the alignment of luck and skill and refing and injuries and all the million other various factors that you need to win a championship. They just didn't have it. It's very unlucky. It like, it truly is. That's a team that should have won a Stanley Cup, and they didn't. So that segues into the Joe Thornton, Jumbo Joe discussion. 
And why I've been thinking of this because I was listening to a podcast the other day, the Athletic NHL show, and they were talking about Joe Thornton specifically after the Panthers were eliminated by the Lightning. They're going, ah, man, if he's going to retire, that's a hell of an NHL career. And, you know, it would have been cool if he could have won a Stanley Cup this year with Florida, but nobody's going to really hold that against him. And that's true because we're talking about an all-time player who's played 24 seasons. He scored over 1,500 points spanning 1,700 plus games. Again, one of the very best players of his generation. Now, what was interesting to me on this show is they're talking about nobody's going to hold this against him because hockey's kind of different than a sport like basketball. And they brought up Charles Barkley as a comparison. They said, you know, Charles Barkley never won a championship in a team sport, and, and that's really held against him. It's a huge black mark on his resume. And I don't think that will be the case with Joe Thornton. And indeed, that is true. Which is strange on some levels because basketball, it's still a sport about the margins. An individual player has a hell of a lot more to say about who wins and who loses one individual game than they do in hockey. But still, there is so much more than what a player like Charles Barkley can control that goes into a game and a series. That I personally never really hold that against the individual. You all know that because you listen to the show. But going back to hockey, it's interesting that they can talk about a player whose career has gone on that long. And it's true. I, I do think the majority of hockey fans will never sit here and go, Joe Thornton was great, but he never won a Stanley Cup. So let's think about him in a slightly more negative light. However, we do do that with players who are not as experienced, yet still have a reasonable accumulation of seasons and playoff performances enough for us to go, this person knows how to ball the hell out when the chips are down. So that leads me to talk about one of my very favorite hockey players of all time, Nathan McKinnon, who is the driving engine behind the Colorado Avalanche offense. And if you want to look at how much say an individual can have in any given game and yet still end up losing, I would say just go and watch game five, Colorado St. Louis. Because McKinnon, McKinnon is, he's a force of nature in a lot of ways, but what I love almost as much as anything he does physically is I understand his competitive desire to win. Whether that's just the way that he plays or what he has verbalized repeatedly after the Avalanche have suffered through a lot of losing seasons that did not result in playoff bursts, and then in the recent past as they've been in the playoffs and lost against teams that are better than them, including last year against the Vegas Golden Knights when they lose in game six and everybody's asking McKinnon, oh, what about this? What about this? And his famous quote coming out of this was just, he was as mad and as surly as Nathan McKinnon can be, which is as mad and as surly as a human being can be. And the main takeaway quote was just, I haven't won shit. Been in this league for a while and all I care about is winning essentially. So yeah, it's great. I have all sorts of regular season point totals. I've been as an individual fantastic in the playoffs on a point-per-game basis, he is third in the history of hockey behind Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux, the two best players in the history of hockey amongst people who have played at least 40 games in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So we're talking about a dude who, at every single turn, and I will attest to this as a man who has watched every single Colorado Avalanche playoff hockey game, the dude has balled the hell out at every single turn. Now, that has not resulted in the team winning and winning and winning and winning and holding a Stanley Cup. So game five, He's not had the greatest series against St. Louis, for sure. Games one through three, by McKinnon standards, nowhere near what I want as a fan and what he demands of himself as a force of nature. Game five was 
it was McKinnon ratcheted up to 28 on a scale of 1 to 10. He's got a hat trick. He's got an assist. If you watched it, you just felt him on every shift. It's something only I think him and McDavid can do in hockey as forwards. Just It's not just what is ultimately placed upon the score sheet. It's what you feel every time they are on the ice. It's that force of nature component that is really hard to describe unless you watch it and then you understand. You go, oh, this is weird. There's 60 minutes in a hockey game and a lot of forgettable things happen to even people who watch hockey consistently. But even the most untrained, unexperienced fan can watch every shift of Nathan McKinnon in game five against St. Louis and go, who's that guy? What's going on? Why is he so good? So he has a hat trick, you know, his first goal, he's screaming around, smashing the ice, wanting the puck on a stick from Lekkonen who feeds him. Good shot in the net. Second goal, he's just driving full power blast, forcing the issue. His third goal is the highlight reel of all highlight reels. The Avs have just uh, blown a 3-0 lead. They've given up a goal with four minutes and change to go. Again, my mind, as soon as that happens, it flickers back to the 2020 Dallas Game 7. I go, no, 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 no. So I go, this, no. I, I truly still believe this year's team is different. I believe this team's different. There's no comparison. Don't be crazy. Don't be a crazy person. And McKinnon, with about two and a half minutes to go, makes a defensive play in his own zone, which playoff Nathan McKinnon is phenomenal defensively, kind of an underrated aspect of his game at this point in time, but makes a good play, takes the puck. He's looping back behind his net. So now he's starting to charge. However, it's not a play that is haphazard. It's not a play that's just materializing out of nowhere and suddenly he's jumping over here and the team was not ready. We're talking about he has the puck on a stick, he loops back behind the net, and now he is driving into five set players who understand this guy is coming at us. It's just a situation that, you know, at best you go, maybe he can elude the first couple people and get an entry into the zone cleanly and then, you know, set up something for the offense or whatever. What you don't expect is what occurred, which is he starts turning his feet. He gains his own blue line. And the next thing you know, he is just scorching like a comet through the neutral zone. And then he's stick handling and he's through three blues. And then it's just him and Nick Letty and he's dancing and moving and Nick Letty's getting turned around. And then he's flipping this strange angled shot over the shoulder of Billy Huso and he's celebrating and the ads are up four, three. And I'm going, yes, this is different. This is different. This is different. It's an incredible goal which talking about makes me excited, but it's tempered by what comes, which is, I've seen this story before. The Blues pull their goaltender. They bang home a rebound with under a minute to go. Gets into overtime. The Avs have good chances. And just this wonky, bad shot from Tyler Bozak, a slapper from outside by the blue line that does not look hard to stop is suddenly by Darcy Kemper and the Blues are celebrating. And now I'm going, ugh. A game that the Avs were up 3-0 in, a game that they led in regulation with less or with a minute to go. Now the series is extended, and now you're starting to think about the past. And on an individual scale, I'm going, man, it's pretty hard to stomach that Nathan McKinnon just played a game like this, and his team didn't win. Now this is true in all sports. I, I pointed out at every single turn. Basketball, football, hockey, you name it. There are so many performances like this. The lost performances of the playoffs is what I call them. And I go, it, just, just when we talk about 
individual legacies and we refer to team success, I want to remember that a lot of stuff like this happens for players that are good, where they move heaven and earth and it's not enough. It's really hard to make sense of it and it's really hard to stomach if you're a fan of the team like I am, but that's just the way that sports are sometimes. Because in sports that are based upon margins, you need help. doesn't matter how big of a star you are. I've said it with LeBron in a sport that you can have the most impact. That's basketball. I said in football, for a player like Aaron Rodgers, quarterback, yes, they can have the most impact in that sport, but it still is minimal compared to what we think. There's still so much stuff that goes into it. Go and ask Aaron Rodgers about how important special teams can be after that loss against the Niners. In hockey, you go, yes, you can do a hell of a lot, but it's nowhere near what everybody else has to do in order for your team to win. Because stars, they're great. Yeah, you want to have them. You want to have McDavid. You want to have McKinnon. That's a no-brainer. But to advance, to win, you need depth. You need goaltending. It's unavoidable facts of life. You need to flush out your roster in those areas. I'd point back to a game like Game 3, St. Louis, Colorado. And McKinnon had, that was his worst game of this series. But who steps up? Nazem Kadri, Second line center, you would never point at as, he's one of the tippy top stars of the avalanche. You know, you'd point at McKinnon and McCarr and Rantanen and Landis Cog and probably even Devontae's before you would get to Kadri. But he has a hat trick. He has an assist. The exact same stat line as McKinnon. He's just, he's needling St. Louis. He's under their skin. They're freaking out. Sorry, that was Kadri in game four. The last two games, game five and game four, I'd point to another person as far as that depth component. What Kadri gave them in game four, awesome. Main reason they won that game. The last two games, I go, you know what has really helped out McKinnon? And just like given a jolt of lightning into this top line that they did not have in games one through three. Arturi Lekkanen getting bumped up to that top spot, moving Miko Rantan into line two. And the combination of Lekkanen and Landeskog has been phenomenal together. And it's really enabled McKinnon to do what he needs to do. It's just, it's a depth piece that you would never point at and say, Arturi Lekkanen is the key to winning the Stanley Cup. You would start with the star because that's how things work. But in order for the star to be enabled at the highest possible level, you need players like Kadri and Lekkanen and keep on going down the roster, whether that's Newhook getting bumped into the third line and really changing what has occurred there with Burakovsky in a complete slump or the fourth line is given them with Helm and, and Cogliano and Logan O'Connor. You need depth. Now, You go one step further, and if I were to draw a comparison between another sport, I would say football and quarterbacking is akin to goaltending and hockey. It's not an apples-to-apples comparison, but it's in a similar vein because quarterbacking, most definitely, it is the position of most impact in football. Not the be-all, end-all, but it is the position of most impact. And goaltending, it's that but even a little bit higher. Not the be-all, end-all, but it has an immense say, more than any position on the ice, in who wins and who loses. So as I'm parsing through my thoughts with the avalanche, and I'm going, how can we avoid these playoff failures of the past? How can this year be different? How can we prove that? I'd say, well, goaltending needs to be better. That's always the case. Whenever you lose, you just say, Goaltending needs to be better. That will immediately solve problems. And sometimes it's fair and sometimes it's not. In the case of Darcy Kemper through five games, I would say, "Eh, it's somewhat fair to be critical because he's got an 890 save percentage through five games. Even as the Avalanche have done a really good job at suppressing shots, like the shot totals for five games, we're talking 25, 31, 31, 20, and 30. None of those are outrageous totals. Two of them are awesome. 
And especially in game five, I mean, he's leaving big rebounds. They're getting banged home. Some of that is on his defense presence in front. It's, it's a symbiotic relationship. And some of it was just, especially the overtime winner, I'm going, that's just not a goal that can go in. It's just not. <laughs> it's just not. If you want to win, that's just not something that can occur. So again, I'm not going to sit here and lay all the blame at Kemper's feet. He's one of many players that could have done better in order for the Avalanche to win game five. One of many people that the Avalanche will be reliant upon to try and win game six, or if they lose to try and win in game seven. And if those things don't coalesce in a manner that sometimes they don't, it's going to be a very sad reality of the Avalanche are going to be sitting at home thinking like the San Jose Sharks year after year after year, where they're just like, but we were really good. And somehow we're here at home again. So much like quarterbacking football, goaltending and hockey, I consider it to be the great equalizer just is you can have these games that it seems tilted on one side of the ice but a goaltender gets hot and it's a tie game and the other team's winning in overtime one of those things it's even more important in present day because we're in an era that's now scoring is expanding this comes from greg washinsky of espn the stanley cup playoffs are now averaging 6.27 goals through 67 games that puts the postseason on pace to be the highest scoring one since 1995 which averaged 6.36 per game which was played after a lockout-shortened season. In addition, an average of 6.3 goals per game were scored this regular season, the highest since 1995-1996, which was also 6.3, end quote. So you get the point. Like, in an era where now we're scoring more, the dead puck era, it's gone. We're moving back towards a better brand of hockey, a more entertaining brand of hockey, quicker brand, transition brand. There's more goals there, so if you have a goaltender that can limit those, it becomes even more important, Right? We have a million examples through the past of hockey where a goaltender gets hot. Yaroslav Halak, good example. Gets hot and suddenly the Canadians are advancing despite the fact their team is just not good. Carey Price, another Montreal goaltender who kind of did the same last year. Jonathan Quick, LA Kings, right under two Stanley Cups because he got white hot at the right time, two separate times. And suddenly the LA Kings are sitting there hoisting the cup over their heads. Goaltending sometimes doesn't make sense. It's, it's voodoo. That's the best way to explain it. Goaltender can be out of their mind, then suddenly they're bad, then suddenly they're good. You don't know a lot of times what you're getting. And that includes players at the tippy top of the sport. Like, you just don't know. It's a very strange thing to try and comprehend. I'd look at uh, two goaltenders that are still alive. As of this recording, that might end uh, by tonight. I'm recording this before game five of Edmonton, Calgary, and the Rangers and the Hurricanes. But two goaltenders who are finalists for the Vezina Trophy, best goaltender in hockey. One who will win, Igor Shosturkin. The other is Jacob Markstrom, the goaltender for the Calgary Flames. Phenomenal, phenomenal throughout the entire regular season. In the playoffs, we've seen up and down and between and everything under the sun. Shesterkin against Pittsburgh, phenomenal in game one. He's stopping 70 some odd shots in triple overtime. Ends up losing the game because sometimes the margins go against you. That's hockey. It's rude. He's awesome in game seven. Everything between, he was atrocious. He's pulled two different times in that series. Now it looks like he's back to being good again against the Hurricanes. Who knows what's going to happen in game five? You will know by the time this is out. Jacob Markstrom, same kind of deal. He's good in the Dallas series, but Jake Ottinger is infinitely better. He's the best player in round one at that position. 970 save percentage. He's in, out of his mind. Takes them to the very brink. Flames win in overtime of game seven. Now we're against Edmonton. Edmonton's coming in waves and the McDavid line is just transcendent. They're doing stuff on every single shift, McDavid especially. And now they're in the awkward position of, again, 
either they're extending it to game six or they're going to be gone by the time you listen to this. But they're backed up against the wall and part of that is on his plate. You go back, here's a good example of the goaltending is voodoo. Two players in that series, Jacob Markstrom on the Calgary side, Mike Smith on the Edmonton side, who have alternated in these playoffs just being out of their minds and just completely lost. They look like if you put me in pads and, and said, Chris, try to stop a shot. Look at the two goals they allowed in game four. Markstrom, the opening goal of the game, he goes behind his net and he just passes it directly to, I think it was Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who just hits it into the net. It's the most confounding thing that you'll see. You go, I don't even know what was occurring there. And yet later in that game, Calgary goes down 3-0 on the strength of that goal starting out the game 21 seconds in. Total atrocious goalie gaff. Put you behind the eight ball and just suck the life out of your cells. And yet they storm back and it's 3-2 and it's the third period and Calgary's killing off a penalty. And Rasmus Anderson from his own zone, 131 feet away. That's exactly how far he was away. He just flips a puck up to get it out of the zone. He's clearing the puck. He's icing it because he's on the penalty kill and they don't want the puck in the zone anymore. And Mike Smith loses sight of it and can't see it. And the puck goes directly into the net from 131 feet. I've watched hockey for over 25 years. I've never seen that in my entire life. It's just voodoo. You don't know what's going to happen. It's so bizarre. So that could have been the ultimate goat game. And instead, Ryan Nugent Hopkins bangs home a rebound with three minutes to go, and Edmonton wins. Depth scoring, stars, goaltending, it's this, it's just a cocktail. Sometimes you get more than others. Sometimes it results in a win, sometimes it doesn't. You never really know. You just don't. But I want to close the show by pointing out the one person who has been so stable at the most volatile of positions and is the reason that the Tampa Bay Lightning are shooting for their third consecutive Stanley Cup. It's like, it seems like it's cheating to have Andre Bashelevsky. He's the one who stands above everybody else. Okay, regular season stuff. Shesterkin definitely deserves to win. He was awesome. He's the best goaltender in hockey throughout the regular season. The playoffs, Bashelevsky has proven time and again that he is the one. Again, at a position that you never know what you are getting night to night. Any team in hockey would kill to have this dude on their roster. He is just, he's a cheat code. He's too big and too quick. He has two things going for him that work at odds with one another and they don't make sense. Because you go, most goaltenders that are big, you can't really move as quickly as the smaller, more nimble goaltenders like a Jonathan Quick. He has the best of all the worlds. It's like LeBron in basketball. You go, but that's not, wait, how can you be that tall and that strong and that fast? That's Andre Vasilevsky net who just completely neutered the highest scoring team in hockey. Tampa Bay, they're sitting at home watching these games. Their feet are kicked up. They're getting healthy, smoking a cigar, drinking a little wine. And a lot of that is on Vasilevsky's plate. Because it wasn't a pretty series, but they played the highest scoring team in hockey, the President's Trophy winning team. They swept them out of the playoffs. Game four was a clinic. It's Vasilevsky and Net. Facing 49 shots from Florida. They were com- I give them tons of props. They did not go quietly into the good night. It didn't matter because of who was in net. He saves all 49 shots. <laughs> Think about those shot totals in the Avs Blue Series against Kemper. And then compare them to double that in a game where he allows zero goals. Now, this is par for the course. Strangely enough, a dude who makes a 49 save shutout in a clinching game, most would go, oh, that's, gotta be, that's the best game you've ever played. This is incredible. Or Vashlevsky just be, no, that's just one of many. It's just what you do. I came across this from uh, Kristen Shilton of ESPN, who was talking about just him within this Florida series. Vashlevsky's stunning play defied superlatives. 
981 save percentage. 0.75 goals against average, capped off by the shutout in game four. The Panthers averaged more regular season goals, 4.11 per game, than anyone. And Vasilevsky made them look feeble as Tampa Bay outscored them 13-3 to in the series. End quote. So think about that. Panthers averaged over four goals per game in the regular season. They scored three goals total in a four-game series. Now, Credit goes to Tampa and their defensive structure and their willingness to block shots. That was a big, big, big component of the series. But stuff that gets through, you're staring down the barrel of the best goaltender in hockey. That is the straw that stirs the drink in Tampa. You go back over Tampa Bay's last seven series clinching wins. So include that Florida game and then take the six prior. Andre Bashelevsky has allowed one goal in seven games. <laughs> one goal in the last seven series clinching wins for Tampa. That came in game seven this year against Toronto. The other six games, all shutouts. That is astounding. That is incredible. It makes my head hurts. It makes me jealous. It makes me envious. It makes me want to go and kidnap him and put him in a Colorado Avalanche uniform. And this comes from somebody who likes Darcy Kemper. But it's the ultimate cheat code to have. It's the thing that, not single-handedly, but will be a large component in a complete legacy change for A, the Tampa franchise, but B, how we think individually of all those great players on the roster. Players who were great regardless of whether or not they won a Stanley Cup, but now you look at Stamkos and Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov and Victor Hedman, and you think slightly different of them because they've won two Stanley Cups and maybe will win a third this year. This is the essence of hockey. It's all of these things. It's maddening, it's frustrating, but this is what it can boil down to. Margin stuff, I mean, a game that is fast and frantic and violent that can be influenced by a million different factors, including 18 different skaters per team with the biggest importance putting on the one person outside of that goaltender who is in net. A game that lives so deeply in the margins, it can be impossible sometimes to comprehend where all your problems can be solved or compounded by the goaltender you have in net. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. If you haven't signed up for my newsletter, you need to. Go to chrisrawl.com, click the subscribe button, put your email in. Every Wednesday morning, you'll get a little something in your inbox that'll put a smile on your face and, and bring a little bright ray of sunshine to your day. So go and enjoy your weekend. Hopefully the Avalanche have won. If not, Tuesday's show is going to be the saddest in the history of shows. It might not even exist. Go enjoy the hockey, enjoy the basketball. We will talk then. Then.